Well, I know most of you don't spend your time envious of preachers, but how would you like to be the guy tasked with talking for 25 minutes to a group of people who are an hour short of sleep? It's a tough gig. Not easy. Well, welcome to Wilshire this morning for a lot of our students and teachers. They are on spring break, and so that means we have several families out and about and traveling or planning to travel this week, and we pray for safety. And for those of you not in education, this is a week of envy, and I understand that, but uh, we'll pray for everybody and their travel. And before we jump into First Peter, uh, let me just tell you again how much I appreciate this congregation There's been a lot of ministry happening, a lot of things going on, a lot of families hurting. This has been a tough month for us, a little more than a month. We've had three funerals in this building, two other families, three families who have lost people they love dearly. And I have witnessed some incredible ministry over this last month and a half. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. And I know. These families appreciate that, that you're willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what we're called to be, so thank you for that. Um, You've heard me say this before, but I genuinely don't know what people do who don't have a church family. Um, And so thank you for, for rising up and doing that. Join me in 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3. Jim and I are preaching through this text. You know what it's like to fill out of place, to be a little odd, to stand out? Maybe you've shown up at an event where you're overdressed, or as is usually the case with me, underdressed. And you look around and you feel very out of place and uncomfortable, or maybe you walk into a room filled with people that you don't know anything about. Or maybe you feel that way at work or school. You're just different than everyone around you. Well, welcome to 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter is a book that I hope by now you've realized the message about it is how do we live out our faith When we are surrounded by people and surrounded by a culture, surrounded by a world that does not value what we value, does not believe what we believe, and is not aiming for the things to which we are aiming. How do you live as a Christian in a world that is not Christian? In fact, maybe even anti-Christian. And this is the message that Peter puts out in front of us from the very first words of the book. He addresses these Christians as strangers, aliens, foreigners, people who are not from around here. And it may be that these people had been living in this culture, wherever Paul or Peter writes this letter to, that they'd been living like everyone else around them. And then they come to learn the message of Jesus Christ and the call that Jesus has on their lives, and they start living differently. And when you quit doing things you once did and quit living in ways you once lived, then the people around you begin to notice and begin to question and then begin to fight back. 
What do you do? How do you stay strong to your faith? And this is not a new concept for Peter. In fact, Peter's borrowing this image and this language from the Old Testament. When God leads Israel from Egyptian slavery, three months later they stop at the base of Mount Sinai. And God comes to them and he says, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people and you will be a holy nation and a royal priesthood, a people of my own possession. And lo and behold, Peter quotes those words in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he borrows that language when he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Where did he get that? He's been reading his Old Testament. And in his own ministry, Jesus has often called us to be different than the world around us. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, you are a city on a hill. A light that is lit, you don't put that under a bushel. You, you let it be seen to all around that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You've got to be different as my people. And then on the night that Jesus was betrayed and going to die, he prayed these words for his disciples. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We're different. We're supposed to be different. And for that reason, Peter writes this letter and he calls them aliens and strangers. And he references their earthly, temporary life. Preachers say that all the time. Be different. I heard a preacher this week say, we are God's odd squad. But we're different than the people around us. But we don't always talk about what that means. Who likes to stand out anyway? Who likes to be the odd one in a room, in a, in, a, in a building, anywhere you're at? Who wants to be different? And Most people don't like conflict, and when you're different, that brings about conflict. Preachers and leaders have long argued that the church is supposed to be countercultural, but that language itself immediately puts up this kind of conflict and antagonism. And some people think that being countercultural simply means if they're for it, we're against it. And I don't think that's what Peter or Jesus is calling us to. The popular image of Christianity, if you were to ask people outside of the church, ask people in the media, ask people who measure culture, and they can tell you, well, Christians, they're those people who are against things. They're against gay marriage. They're against abortion. They're against evolution. And Christians are just against stuff. But does anyone know what God has called us to be for? And I think that's part of the conversation that unfolds in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's an interesting gentleman by the name of Robert Louis Wilkins 
He's a historian, and he said this of the church. He said, the church is a culture in its own right. Christ does not simply infiltrate a culture. Christ creates culture by forming another city, another sovereignty with its own social and political life. That's who we're supposed to be. So when you come to 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter lays out what that looks like. God's not just calling us together to say, okay, here's what I want you to oppose. Here's what I want you to stand against. He's saying, here's what I want you to be. Here's who you are called to imitate in this world around you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, Peter lays out what that looks like. We are not just a group of anti-cultural crusaders. We are a people living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's some debates on this text of whether or not Peter is talking to believers in our relationship to each other or whether or not he's talking to believers in our relationship with the people outside of the church. I think he's doing both. I think what you find in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 Peter saying, this is how you need to live among each other. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he's saying, this is how you should live among outsiders. What does the world outside think of the way we live together as the church? When they see us, when they watch us interact with each other, what does the world think? It means to be a Christian. And, and when you go from here and you're at work or you're at school and you talk about the people you go to church with or you talk about Christianity or you talk about church, what do they learn about what the church is and is supposed to be about? How do we talk about one another? How do we minister to one another? How do we handle conflict with one another? Does our interactions as Christians, not just in this building, but other believers, reflect the world that Jesus envisions? How do we interact with each other is just, a much, just as much a witness to the gospel of what we are saying with our words. And listen to Peter. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Is that your experience with church? Is that how you live with the people in the pew next to you? Is that how we interact together outside of this church building? That's what Peter's talking about. You see, when the world is against the church, and when, when the church is facing persecution and pressure, as they were then, it's tempting to turn on each other. And Peter is saying, you need each other even more in moments like that. And how you interact, how we interact, is a witness to the gospel we're trying to proclaim. If we live like the world out there, then we have no right to call them to change their lives. 
If we interact with each other and we talk to each other and we undermine each other and we're filled with suspicion towards each other and we accuse other people in this church the same way the world out there does, the gospel has had no effect on our lives. We cannot look and live like people who do not know Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. We are a different community because we believe in Jesus. And so we live in harmony. We're sympathetic. We love as brothers. We're compassionate. And we're humble. Those aren't terms you usually encounter in the world. They may be things people admire and look up to, but the world out there runs on a different set of ethics. But Peter says this is who God calls us to be. One of the worst experiences in ministry I have ever had is seeing a church split. You've heard me talk about this before. People who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ treated each other in despicable ways. There were threats of lawsuits, fights over who had access to the church building, whose stuff belonged to whom. And the worst part about it is that everyone in the community around that church knew exactly what was happening. The church looked no different than the world around us. So, it should not have been any surprise that people weren't drawn to be part of us. But one of the most beautiful things I've witnessed is how this church has shown love and ministry and opened doors to other people. People have heard how we take care of each other. Friends and family members who have seen the love and care shown, they've wanted to know more and learn more, and be part of this. And that's not to say we'll always get it right. That's not to say that we'll always see things through the same lens, that we'll always agree. But it does mean if we're the people of God, we give each other the benefit of the doubt. We look for ways to get along, not get ahead. We offer sympathy and compassion, not judgment and accusations. That's how the world reacts, not the people of God. And so one of the first things Peter says in chapter 3 and verse 8 is when you're facing what we are facing and when other people are rejecting the gospel of Christ, you live the gospel of Christ among yourself with your hospitality and your brotherly love and your humility and your sympathy. You be the people that God calls you to be, regardless of what's happening out there. But then verse 9, I think, Peter turns it to say, but how do we react to the world? When they accuse us, when they malign us, when they try to undercut us, how do we live when people treat us that way? And Peter says, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult. Be a blessing because to this you were called 
so that you may inherit a blessing. Again, it's entirely possible that Peter is continuing his thoughts about how we interact with each other in the church. And these words certainly apply to that, but I think Peter's expanding it to say, how do we interact with the world out there? I heard this week of a person who was standing at an airport luggage carousel, and a man became extremely angry with an employee who was handling his luggage. And for several minutes, this man just belittled the employee at the airport, said all sorts of horrible things about them, and criticized everything they did. Well, after several minutes, the man walked away, and another lady walked up to the desk and said, how is it that you're able to remain so calm under those circumstances? And the employee said, well, that's easy. That guy is going to New Delhi, and I'm sending his luggage to Shanghai. (laughs) You see how good that feels? How tempting that is. Peter says we can't react that way. We cannot treat the world the way the world treats us. It's tempting to respond to the world in kind. If they push us, we push back harder. If they speak evil of us, we find every dirty detail to speak evil of them. If they paint us in a bad light, We do whatever we can to paint them in a bad light. We fight fire with fire. Stand up. Fight back. And for this reason, we support people and causes, not necessarily because we agree with them, but because we like fighters. Peter says that's not who we are. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. There's an old Puritan law that says to return good for evil is godlike. To return good for good is manlike. To return evil for evil is beastlike. And to return evil for good is devil-like. Peter says, do not repay evil with evil. You guys remember October 2nd of 2006? On that day, a 32-year-old man named Charles Roberts walked into a one-room schoolhouse of an Amish school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. He himself was not Amish. He killed five girls and left five critically wounded. He did it, he said, because he was angry with God for what had happened to his own daughter. There was a book written shortly after that titled Amish Grace where the author said, The blood was barely dry on the schoolhouse floor when Amish parents brought words of forgiveness to the family of the one who had slain their children. Half the people who attended the funeral of the murderer were parents who had buried their own children just days before. The Amish prepared meals and took the killer's family all the things they needed. And they even donated money for that family. 
Do not repay evil with evil. Where did Peter get such a crazy idea? I think I know. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you, take you take and take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's not new to Peter. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that calls us to be different than the world around us. A gospel that says it does not matter what they say, it does not matter how they treat you, you do not compromise the message of Jesus Christ. You be the person God formed you to be. And then after Peter tells them all of these things, he gives a reason there in 1 Peter chapter 3. Those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. And here's why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know why we live this way? Because God sees and God knows. And God will act in his way at a time of his choosing. That means it's not up to us to repay evil for evil. It's not up to us to carry out judgment. God hears your prayers. God knows our suffering. And God's going to take care of that. We, on the other hand, are called to live out the gospel of Jesus today. There's an author and minister known named Tim Keller. And he made a very interesting observation about the reasons the early church grew so rapidly. I mean, think of it. Starts off with 12 guys following Jesus. And in Acts 1, it becomes 120. And then it becomes 3,000. And then Luke just says, I quit counting. A lot of people. Tim Keller says, one of the things that helped the church grow from that small group to eventually overtaking the Roman Empire is because they took their call to holiness seriously. And they were so radically different and they refused to compromise with culture. And Tim Keller says, and, and when you look through history and you look through Scripture, there are five things that the early Christians did that made them radically different from the world around them. 
they were multiracial and multiethnic. They didn't all look alike. You didn't have to come from a certain tribe or a certain country or a certain language to be a part of them. They took in everyone. They were highly committed to caring for the poor and the marginalized. The rest of culture just threw people out. The rest of culture wanted nothing to do with someone who couldn't help me get ahead. He said the early Christians were non-retaliatory and marked by a commitment to forgiveness. When Rome threatened to kill them, the Christians didn't say, well, we'll just fight back. We'll just get a stronger army. We'll get a king who will fight our battles. They said, we'll be like Jesus. The early church strongly and practically stood against the abandonment of children and infanticide. When the culture around them had a daughter and said, well, that's not going to be any help to our cause and would throw little girls out into the dump, Christians were the ones who would go collect them and raise them. And when others wanted to give up on children and do away with children, the early church said, we will value and love children. And Tim Keller says, the early church was revolutionary regarding the ethics of sex. That they do not practice some sexual freedom where anything goes. They valued the holiness of one man for one woman for one life. And because they held these principles strongly, even when the world around them mocked them, and even when people put them out, and even when they refused to give them a place in culture, they said, this is who the gospel calls us to be. And we will not change, and we will not compromise, because we're committed to Jesus Christ. What makes us so different? What makes us a Christian community? Are we any different in how we live with each other and interact with each other and minister to each other? Or are we just like the world around us showing up for two hours on a Sunday? Or are we so different because we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and everything about our lives is shaped by who He calls us to be? And when we live and work and interact with the people around us, do we live out the gospel of Jesus or do we try to hide our faith so we don't stand out? Peter says we must be Jesus' people. And we must be Jesus' people when we are together and when we interact with the world outside of our walls. The call of the gospel is for a different kingdom, governed by a radically different set of values, a call to be holy, just as God is holy. And we will never change the world around us if we are just like them. One author said, We ought not be known for fighting and quarreling, nor ought we be known because of an unruly mob that is always agitating for one thing or another. Instead, we ought to be seen as a peace-loving people who are good citizens, who love Jesus. So, 
Are you any different? Is there anything odd about you when you're at work or when you're at school or in your neighborhood? Do people see us and say, there's something different? Do people expect us to react to them the way everyone else reacts? Or will they be shocked when they experience the love and hospitality and sympathy and the blessing of Jesus? Peter says we're aliens, we're strangers, we're just passing through. I invite you this morning to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is a different world, a different kingdom, and a different set of values. But it's one that is within the blessing of God. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, we want you to consider doing that today. Trusting him and following him, even if it means you're going to be odd. And if you have given your life to Christ and you need to come back and recommit your life, We would love to help you do that while we stand and while we sing.